Welcome to Red Door Vision's film and theatre industry podcast, where actors, writers and filmmakers share their experiences of working in the creative industry. Well, really, they're just telling tales. Hello, actress and voice artist Sarah D here with episode two of the Creative Anecdotes podcast. If you have a story to share with us, you'll find all the details you need at the end of this podcast. And here's the first of our four stories we have to share. Here's a story that will explain why you might see me cowering in a corner trying not to laugh when things get a little heated in the theatre rehearsal room. Don't get me wrong, I love and respect the theatre with wonderful memories of outdoor productions to the Royal Court. This story, though, comes from one of many London Fringe theatre productions. I was cast in a fabulous role in a well-known play. A husband and wife team had set up the production, he the director, she the star. Rehearsals were intense. Needed or not, we all had to be there. Egos then started challenging egos. So I tried not to shine too bright, just kept my head down, keep the peace and saved all my extra gloss for the run. Four nights in, we had the press night, full house, two curtain calls and many congratulations. My strategy worked. We were, however, all encouraged not to read the reviews. That's fine by me. However, the theatre owner was only too happy to show me several. They were glowing. Two were very favourable to my performance. And that made me realise why, every night since the press night with minutes to go, the director took away pivotal lines or told me to stay in the shadows or even stay on stage so I'd have to figure a reason for being there at all. Needless to say, the whole play suffered. I'd been naive. His wife had to shine the brightest. Every night I was reconstructing my role, only for him to take more away. It was good training, really, but eventually, exhausted and disillusioned, I cracked and called Mum. And she, as all mums do, changed everything, stopping me short with, Sarah, now you must remember, there's always plenty of drama in the (laughs) theatre. Thanks, Mum. That's priceless. Steve Roberts, writer, producer, director, but currently speaking from the right end of that little triangle. Um, I was a writer in London for many years and wrote a movie for television called Max Headroom. This was much uh, enjoyed by America and we were asked to go out and turn it into a series, which we did. The problem with America is it pays you far too much money for doing what you do. And the secondary problem is that part of the punishment for this is that you sit in notes meetings with people in suits who have many Porsches but very few ideas about how to make television. Anyway, you do this with a good heart because in America you don't argue. It's not like the UK. Uh, You agree with everybody and go away and do what you want to do later. On this particular occasion, we had a problem with the series and uh, a problem with the story. And things were getting hot and heated, and this was bad. And consequently, I suddenly had an idea and introduced it and said that I think the solution was obvious. Uh, We simply had to move the Jeopardy fulcrum down story. 
there was much kissing and jumping up and licking and uh, offers of lunch and uh, definitions of genius, and uh, we departed. My companion, the producer, English Peter, um, was then found lying with his head against a wall and apparently shaking, his knee jammed against his chest. I thought it was a heart attack. In fact, his tears were because when he saw me, he said, what in God's name is a jeopardy fulcrum? To which I answered, I have no idea. It just occurred to me while we were in the meeting and we repaired to the nearest bar and sorted the story out there. That's not the point. The point is that a week later, we were in another pitch meeting, uh, pitched our story and the gentleman executive leaned forward and very soberly said, Steve, where do you see the jeopardy fulcrum? At which point we exploded into laughter. He was somewhat upset and startled. We explained why. And asked him, where on earth did you get that phrase? And he said, well, executive barbecues at Malibu, everyone's talking about it. And that was the truth. For six months in uh, Los Angeles, you couldn't go to any meeting without being asked about the position of the Jeopardy fulcrum. So, with Hilaire Belloc, let us say, oh, let us never, never doubt what nobody is sure about. My name is Toby Roberts. I'm a writer-director who has recently stepped into acting. In 2006, I was asked to be part of a four-man team to travel to Nairobi in Kenya to help make a soap opera called Makatanu Junction. There was a camera operator, sound recordist, director Andrew Gosling and myself as first AD. Television had just superseded radio in popularity there, and the producers were keen to make a show that dealt with contemporary issues in an entertaining way that affected people living in developing countries, such as malaria, corruption, young pregnancies, etc. The aim was to shoot a whole series whilst teaching the locals about television production in the hope that they might continue once we'd returned home. Packed up with all my gear, I excitedly boarded the train from Colchester to London Liverpool Street, en route to Gatwick. The route takes you through the less salubrious side of East London, long before money was invested in the area for the Olympics and the East End became hip. There was a row of particularly grim flats that backed onto the train line that always, to me, epitomised the grubby side of urban living, and I often wondered what poor souls could possibly live there. Anyway, after a long journey, I eventually arrived at the disused school just outside Nairobi that was to be my home and work for the next two months. My room was the old headmaster's office, and the playing field out back became the film set. The local cast and crew were a delightful, lively and happy bunch, and we soon fell into the family-like camaraderie that often develops. A few weeks into production, I was invited to stay just outside the city with Sam, my trainee, during a weekend break. Sam had kindly arranged with a few of the others an evening at his local bar where they were showing a Premier League football game, Manchester United versus Portsmouth. I'm a keen Spurs fan and I can dribble on as well as the next man about tactics, the squad, the manager, etc. But not, it turned out, if the next man lives in Kenya. They are Premier League crazy out there. At that time, most of them were either Man U, Liverpool or Chelsea fans and they can talk until the giraffes come home about every aspect of English football. Although we four Brits were the only white people working on Makatanu, there was never even the suggestion of issue of race. But when I walked into the bar that night, straight from work, there was an unnerving, albeit brief silence with everyone staring at me. Sam reassured me, don't worry, they think you look like one of the players. Relieved, I quickly ran through my mind who was on the team sheets. David Beckham had left some years before, so it couldn't be him. 
What I wasn't expecting was that they thought I looked like Wayne Rooney. This was disappointing. Not only because I don't look a bit like Rooney, but also Wayne was never on the front cover of a glossy magazine for his good looks. Midway through the first half, Wayne Rooney scored a goal, and the whole pub turned around, pointed at me repeatedly, and shouted, Rooney! Rooney! That horror was later overshadowed when we eventually headed back to Sam's place. He, along with many of the cast and crew, lived in one of the slums just outside of Nairobi. It was one very simple room made up of unpainted breeze blocks with a water butt in the corner from which he kindly poured me a drink through a sieve to prevent any cockroaches ending up in my glass. He generously slept on the floor so that I could enjoy the luxury of his bed, but even that was marred by the sight of a cockroach racing across my blanket just moments before Sam turned out the single bulb in the middle of the room. The following morning we queued for the communal shower, which was brown water trickling out of a copper pipe. Either the pipe became blocked or the water ran out just before my turn, and despite the heat, I must admit I was relieved and felt that I was probably better off without the shower. Children played joyfully in the street as we walked to the bus stop for my return trip to the school, and yet next to them human sewage trickled down the dirt road, completely ignored by everyone, including my host, and so it felt somehow wrong that I should raise it as an issue, let alone show my alarm. The curious thing was that six weeks or so later, on my way home, I was idly gazing out of the train from Liverpool Street and saw that same row of grim flats that I'd passed on my way out. And without considering any previous thoughts I may have had about them, I found myself thinking how lucky these people were that lived there, given that they had lockable doors, clean running water, a shower and flushable toilet. I'm happy to say that Makatani was a great success and ran for eight years and 14 seasons. There was even a character in series two called Toby, which was very touching, particularly as he didn't look a bit like Wayne Rooney. Here's a little story about when I met James McAvoy. I was at the BAFTAs having a few drinks of champagne with a friend. And I saw him across the room and he'd just won um, a BAFTA for Filth, the fantastic movie that he was in. And I thought, I'd had a few drinks and I thought, well, I should go and say hello because I'm a big fan. I was with my friend Sarah Jane Butler and I walked over and he was with loads of people. And I just thought, do you know what? The first thing that came to my mind was, James, what do you think about tall women? As I stood looming over him in my high heels. He then responded with, and I can't do the Scottish accent. Oh, I'm, I uh, loved tall women until I married my wife. And then I was absolutely mortified. The circle of people stared at me and I sort of evaporated into the distance. So, yeah, in terms of how embarrassing stories go, I think that one wins the award. Actress Cassandra Hodges there with the final story on this episode two of the Creative Anecdotes podcast for Red Door Vision. Our thanks goes to all the wonderful contributors. Join us again, and thank you for listening. Our door is always open, so if you have any news, views, information, advice, or a two-minute anecdote involving the creative industries that you're willing to share, email us here. Info at reddoorvision.co.uk with podcast at the start of your subject line. Let's make things happen. Red Door Vision. Promoting creativity. Creativity.